The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. It's time to get fired up. Fired Up is a show that delivers both business impact and social importance. Get ready to explore the connection between communications and human motivation. Our guests will share ideas on how to create higher returns on your communication investments by engaging the people who matter most. Our host, Gordon Rudo, CEO of Bonfire Communications, has bridged the communications gap from startups and nonprofits to the Fortune 500, from political leaders to celebrity CEOs. Get ready to be fired up with your master communicator, Gordon Rudo. So welcome back, everybody. Hope you had a good week and are excited about another enlightening conversation around organizational success here at Fired Up. Uh, as I think I mentioned last week, one of the, the great pleasures of doing this show is having conversations and, and exposing all of you to some of my favorite people and favorite ideas and, and what I believe to be some of the most powerful concepts in business today and spoken right from the thought leaders themselves. So, so I want you to think about this. Now, many of these folks have been shaping the way that our top executives think and work and lead their companies in some of the biggest companies in the world. Uh, so said differently, there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives, impacted every single day by these core notions, these very central ideas coming from a handful of individuals. Uh, our national economy and perhaps even the world economy is being shaped how these leaders think and behave and, and work and lead. So these handful of people um, are providing these central structures or processes or ideas, methods or instruments uh, to global companies and affecting our world in, in pretty significant ways. Uh, now, I've talked about what I, who I think some of these, these central people are and central concepts are, and I know that over the last dozen episodes, I've mentioned MIT um, probably a dozen times the work of the Society of Organizational Learning and Innovation Associates, and I know I've referenced Peter Senge and the Fit Discipline, and uh, our guest today, um, Robert Fritz, and the book Creating the Path of Least Resistance and the Path of Least Resistance for Managers. Um, and Robert Fritz has been a, a very important person in, uh, in our work here at Bonfire and in the work that we've been talking about um, for years. And I want to tell you a little bit of, about Robert before we get started, and not that much because we don't have a whole lot of time and I want to dive into the topic. But the first thing that I want you to note about Robert is that he comes into the world of business and coaching executives and providing these distinctions that are shaping companies today from the world of, of art and music. So coming from a slightly abstract field but bringing something in that's very central to us, which is the world of the creative process. And what he's done is study those artistic fields and finding the patterns and commonalities um, across all of those fields and the world of business, and it's made a huge, huge impact on the corporate sector, and his books have sold um, internationally as bestsellers. Um, so I'm going to introduce you to, to Robert now and dive right into this topic, so I appreciate you joining us today, Robert. How are you? Fine. How are you doing? I'm doing Okay. 
I'm doing okay. Um, appreciate your time this morning, and I'm going to respect it by diving right in, if that is okay with you. Great. So, as I mentioned on a previous call with you, Robert, we have about 30 minutes or so, and we're going to focus this topic on co-creation, this notion that creating inside of the world of business and in organizations is often done with our peers and with our colleagues and within the context of an organizational structure or collaborations and partnership. So let's talk about organizational structure. And uh, I thought we would use your nine laws as a framework for much of the conversation today. So I think a good place to start would be the the first law and this notion uh, around the first law of organizational structure that organizations either oscillate or advance. And I wanted you to kind of unpack that for us and describe what is oscillation and what is advancement and how do we think about that in organizational structure. One of the first things I noticed when I started working in organizations was that success does not always succeed. In fact, a lot of times there are reversals and it's neutralized. And um, looking at it from a longer-range pattern, let's say two to five years, all of us can see various kinds of oscillation. For example, organizations centralize decision-making, and then they decentralize decision-making, and then later they centralize decision-making, and then later still they decentralize decision-making. Or they build up capacity, and then they downsize. Or they build up capacity, and then they downsize. Or they uh, expand uh, through acquisition, and then they divest, and then they acquire, and then they divest, and et cetera, et cetera. And you can just see these patterns over and over. And the thing about it is most people don't step backwards enough to see that they're actually patterns, predictable patterns, in fact. And so um, what we can see in an oscillating structure is that any advancement will eventually be neutralized. That means the underlying structure itself is like a rocking chair. You know, you move forward, and there's something in the structure itself that then makes it easier to move backwards than to keep going forward. And a lot of companies inadvertently are structured that way. Sometimes, by the way, like uh, we can see this on Wall Street. In, in, the, in one of my books, um, the, uh, one of the chapters starts with Wall Street has a lot to answer for. And what I'm describing there is the conflict between short-term focus and long-term focus. And as a company loses its long-term focus to satisfy the short-term demands of Wall Street, they really lose the ability to build capacity over time. Uh, just very quickly to give you an example of that, um, one of the reasons why uh, Wall Street is so enamored with short-term things is you can make a lot of profit very quickly by cutting costs. And if you start to take the same amount of money and put it back into the company to build capacity, it takes a longer t- term, a longer time rather, to return those costs and start to really uh, build new profits. And they make money by trading stock, not by holding stock. So the focus there really can be very undermining to uh, a lot of companies who are publicly traded. So the structures that we're talking about, not just inside of the company, but the overall structure of living within an economy, or in this case, kind of a public market system, and and this issue of short-term growth and quarter-by-quarter consistent growth, I mean, isn't this a structure that that will kill? I mean, isn't this kind of like a bodybuilder who just tries to grow and grow and grow and grow and, and take more steroids? I mean, isn't there some point where this overarching structure will kill Yeah, if there's no leadership. And I think it's really important to understand that organizations and companies in and of themselves are literally amoral. 
That is to say, they really don't have values or they're not guided by higher principles. People have values. And that's why leadership is such a critical factor, because it's this, particularly the senior executives, like the CEO and, and the executive team, that really have to understand that they're in um, an environment in which the forces are actually, in many cases, against long-term sustainability and growth. And it's through their leadership that they really insist on not allowing the tail to wag the dog, as it were, but really let their um, growth be guided by their higher order principles, which really are which really are pretty much a, 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 akin to the principles of the creative process, which has to do with building something. You know, for example, uh, the fundamentals of the business are we have some kind of offering. It's a product or service or a combination of products or services. We have a market. Um, there's a fair exchange. Uh, the key to business strategy, and this is... <laughs> You know, uh, in, in a way, forget all of the hieroglyphics around strategy, and if you just remember this, this is all you really need to know. Make them an offer they can't refuse because it's so good. And uh, those companies that really try to refine the offer in relationship to their market motivation and make it closer and closer over time, those are the ones that really have the best probability of success. So you've got to look at the Fortune 500 companies and, and look at their leaders. I mean, how many of them are thinking about long-term capacity and are using their own sense of values or higher-level goals to, to guide their companies? I mean, I'm not looking for a percentage. Generally, generally about 20%. Okay. Now, I know this because <laughs> a guy who read one of my books who was a real expert on these kinds of things uh, said to me, look, I want to show you this thing. It was a, something called the long-term growth um, prospectus or something like that. And what it is is it shows the history of companies over the last 50 years. And about 80% of them were really oscillating, and about 20% of them were just simply building and building and building and building. And uh, so I can, at least with some degree of statistical support, say it's probably around 20%. But the thing about it is it's not about statistics. It's about what each company understands in terms of what they do. And uh, it's very important to really look at the fundamentals and not some of the tricks that people get so enamored of, uh, where they lose sight of what, what the fundamentals are. Hmm. Well, if you live in one of these organizations... What kind of evidence would you have or what clues should you look for, whether we're oscillating or advancing? How would you know, or is it the, kind of a boiling I, frog experience? No, I think the tell, one, there's many telltale signs, but one of them is this. If you're working within an organization and you are having compete against other departments or divisions for the same resource base, you know there's a lack of understanding of what capacity costs and how to really divvy up the capacity in relationship to strategic objectives. And, you know, don't we see that all the time? I mean, where, where people are trying to get, you know, more headcount and more budget and more et cetera, et cetera, and they're having to go against somebody else who's, going, who's got the same goals. And nobody senior to them is really saying, look, here's our, here's our cost for capacity and here's how we're going to really design it in relationship to our strategic process. So, you know, I'm, I'm a composer. When I started looking at organizations, somebody said to me, well, you know, organizations can never change because they're so complex. And I started looking at them from a structural point of view, like a piece of music, 
And I didn't think they were really complex at all. I think they were just simply poorly composed. And when we start to change the design so that things reinforce each other rather than fight against each other, we start to see some real synergy begin to develop. Fascinating. Okay, so we're going to need to take a break, but we're going to jump into from, from the first law to the wrapping up of the first four, because I really want to spend time on the fifth law and talk about um, some of this structural tension stuff. So we're going to come back with Robert Fritz right after this message. Stay tuned. Fired Up on WebmasterRadio.fm will return after this short break. Are you happy with your landing page performance? Discover how to improve your landing page performance with ConversionCritic.com. Brought to you by Engine Ready. Turn your underperforming landing pages into cost-effective sales-producing machines. Be sure you're not wasting your precious PPC budget. Conversion Critic tools give you the ingredients to create high converting landing pages. You don't have to be an expert to use Engine Ready's Conversion Critic tools, but you'll feel like a landing page pro. Take the guesswork out of increasing your conversion rate. Visit conversioncritic.com and boost your conversion rate for free. That's www.conversioncritic.com. Hey, have you got the number for Jerry's Pizza? Look it up on LocalPages.com. LocalPages.com. Well, what if I wanted a business number in Miami? LocalPages.com. Can people find your business online? Be seen with LocalPages.com on every local listing in all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, Amazon, and Ask. With over 6 billion quality searches a month and bids starting as low as one cent, get connected with local consumers at the exact moment that they're looking for you. San Francisco, Green Bay, London. I told you. LocalPages.com. List your business on LocalPages.com now and get $100 in free local advertising. LocalPages.com, bringing your neighborhood to you. Do you consider yourself a super affiliate? Then listen up. One of the most trusted names in affiliate marketing since 2003, XY7.com, has now launched XY7Elite.com, a private invitation-only affiliate program run by super affiliates for super affiliates. Enjoy private tested offers, weekly deposits right to your bank account or XY7 debit card, XY7 VIP concierge service, limousine transportation to and from major industry events, and the status of being one of the elite publishers. XY7 Elite is not for everyone as you need to be accepted and maintain volume requirements. Think you've got what it takes to be elite? Go to www.xy7elite.com or call 702-216-4000. 702-216-4000. Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Entertainment Channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. You're getting fired up, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Now, here's Gordon Rudo. So we're hearing from Robert Fritz on some of the clues and symptoms that, that happen in organizations, some of the ways that we can experience this oscillation versus advancement and knowing how to move from one level to another. And as much as we can spend the next 30 minutes on that topic, I want to wrap up the first four so we can get into the notion of structural tension, which is such a central idea um, and a powerful idea if we know how to work with it. But let me just say, when I, when I was reading your book and looking at these first four laws, um, they seem pretty comparable to kind of the four noble truths of Buddhism, kind of saying that, you know, if we change structure, we can end suffering to some degree, right? Is this... Um, behaviors can change when we change structure? Is this kind of our end of suffering in organizations? Well, I think the principle is the underlying structure of anything will determine its behavior. 
And so we see companies try to take on various change programs and so on. And at the end of the day, the organization rejects the change effort the same way a body rejects an implanted organ because the underlying structure wasn't set up in such a way to enable change to happen. So all the change effort did, and it could be a very good one, by the way, but all the change effort did was to create a bigger discontinuity within the company and so that eventually people kind of rejected change. And then a couple of years later, when the next thing came into fad, they adopted that, and that, and that was rejected as well. And it isn't that people are afraid of change. I mean, look, nobody that I know uses a typewriter anymore. Everybody uses a word processor at least. Um, and so when change, when it's well-motivated, is fairly easy to, to take on. But often the changes that we try to put into our organizations are really uh, done uh, without thinking that the underlying dynamics have brought us to a certain point. There's a reason why things work the way they work. And it's a very Western notion to try to change things before we understand them. And so the first thing we need to do is understand what are the underlying structures in play that are causing the current behavior that we're seeing, and often that is oscillation. And then once we understand those, we can really begin to change the underlying structures, like getting out of a rocking chair and moving into a car and then driving off a vehicle that's really designed to move from one place to another versus a vehicle that, or, or at least a, a, um, a structure like the rocking chair that's de- that really is designed to oscillate, to go back and forth. And I, I would imagine that the short-term nature of the markets and what they push on us creates this kind of superficial notion of how to change, right? We have to think in such short-term notions that looking at underlying structures, man, that sounds like it takes time and it's laborious. Do we, is that well, the experience yeah, that you've, you you've heard from executives, the, the 8 out of 10 that don't get this stuff? Well, we have to ask the question, what motivates changes in behavior? Just telling people to do things doesn't necessarily lead to them doing it. Anybody who has children knows that. So let's jump ahead if we can since we have such little time and talk about the the juicy fifth law. And I want to quote you, if I may. (laughs) One of the quotes in in, uh, The Path of of Least Resistance for Managers, you say that shared vision is good, but shared structural tension is brilliant. So can you define for us what structural tension is and what you mean by um, this being brilliant? The... uh... Uh, one of uh, Peter Sange's, um disciplines in the fifth discipline is shared vision. And it certainly is a very powerful thing when we really all care about the same thing and want to bring something into being. But what really great leaders do, and that what we can do as well, is to really share in not only the vision, but the current reality. Where are we now in relationship to that vision? Now, the principle of structural tension is this. There's a tension, structural tension. This is not psychological tension. It's not pressure. It's simply a relationship between a desired state, what we want, and the actual state, what we have. And there are two important disciplines there. One is to really know what we want, and the other one is to actually really know what we have. When uh, a leader is able to both articulate and enroll people in both the vision of where he or she wants to go and to be able to articulate and accurately describe current reality, where we are in relationship to that, suddenly we can mobilize people around this structural tension. And that structural tension, by the way, is not a metaphor. 
is actually a structural dynamic. In other words, um, if I set up structural tension, I can really align people, uh, engage them in various tasks and activities on behalf of the vision, but also always reporting current reality to each other as it changes. That's why it's current reality. Yeah, I think this is the most powerful concept, one of the most powerful concepts I've ever worked with. And I'm going to quote you again here um, in another chapter of the book. You say that, uh, and you write, I can't say this strongly enough. Knowing what you want to create and where you are in relationship to those goals is the most powerful force that an organization can have. So when you're talking about the structural tension between the desired reality, the future state, and the current state, isn't this what you mentioned earlier about the need for change, is there a more powerful cause or burning platform for change than really understanding and have a clear picture of those two realities? Well, the, what motivates the change is we actually want things. And in my opinion, organizations, and, and even uh, in particularly corporations, are a real civilizing force. And through them we have technology and medical science and all kinds of stuff we otherwise wouldn't have. And so the fact that we can join together in a collective create a process, as you were describing it in the beginning of our of our chat, uh, that's a very powerful thing. Now, um, I make a, a big distinction, both in the book and everywhere I can make it, <laughs> between problem solving, which a lot of managers do, and real creating. Problem solving is, ha- is taking action to have something go away, the problem. Creating is having action to have something come into being, what we want to create. And they're very, very different. Now, a lot of organizations spend a lot of time on problem solving, and managers proudly announce, I'm a, I'm a dedicated problem solver. Well, you know, years ago, they realized that a lot of the firefighters in, in organizations were also the pyromaniacs. <laughs> right. And uh, that it's very unproductive to organize your uh, life around solving problems. And you can solve all of the problems you have and still not have what you want. So to really understand, I think the power of this is to really understand it's not simply a technique, it's orientational. It's where we live and breathe. And I couldn't agree more, and that's why I want to spend more time on this issue. When you're talking about this desired state, and you mentioned medical breakthroughs or big differences in technology and and revolutions in terms of how we live, those are incredible things for, for companies and executives to espouse and get people rallied behind. But if a company believes and, and the employees believe that we're almost there or that, you know, the getting there is out of their hands, but in R&D's hands or in marketing's hands, then even the most powerful visions in the world by themselves are not compelling enough to drive change. But what we talk about is, is kind of these eco-feedback cycles, this idea that you espouse this desired reality in, in a compelling visual picture, you let everybody know exactly where you are in that process, and throughout the journey, you remind people, this is where we're trying to get to, this is where we are now, we've made some progress, and here's what you've done to make that progress. Here are the specific actions that have worked, or the ones that have not worked, but affirming those behaviors, or at least illuminating the dynamics that are moving you progressively towards that desired state, is probably the most powerful thing I know about how to move organizations in, in positive directions. Is this well, what you're well, describing? Certainly is what this, you're describing is, is the right feedback. Sorry. What you're describing is the right feedback system. In other words, uh, the things that really matter to us is we're, we've got uh, certain goals we're trying to achieve. 
and we're we're taking action and we're actually making progress and achieving them and we're learning and we're correcting and we're getting better and we're mastering our levels of skill and, and competencies and so on. I mean, all of that is real. And when that, no matter what's said, the thing about it is you can say exactly the same stuff. And if, if what you're describing is not true, then everybody knows it's a sham and it's just a bunch of propaganda. So um, I think a lot of times mission statements, purpose statements, vision statements are completely uh, irrelevant and maybe even work against the organization. Because people, first of all, they're too general to organize around. And secondly, they're usually platitudinous. And thirdly, um, uh, they're not, they're, uh, from, a, from the standpoint of the creative process, you need something you can actually create. It's got to be specific enough to create it. And, and you know, if you, if you want an example of that, I think the best example of that is the I Have a Dream speech by Martin Luther King. I mean, it was not general. It was not mom and apple pie. It was very specific, and if you think about the form of that speech, he started by talking about the promise that we made to each other in the formation of the United States in terms of freedom and justice. And then he described the current situation, and then he described his vision that even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. And it's that uh, vision in relationship to the current reality that really created that structural tension. So um, as we made progress toward that over the years, had we made no progress, then everybody would have known, hey, wait a second, that was, you know, we haven't really moved toward fulfilling that. But as we actually have moved toward fulfilling that, uh, I think people realize the power of that as structural tension. I, I really think leaders have got to understand that it's not about what they say. It really is about what they do. I mean, everybody knows if you've got contradictory reward systems, if you're unfair, um, because nobody will play fairly in an unfair game. If the organization is filled with politics, if you really can't sensibly get things done correctly because of all kinds of crazy, you know, things like um, history and politics, well, then no matter what's said, it's going to be seen as hypocrisy. So I think it's the actions, translating the clarity of knowing what we want and knowing where we are and knowing what our plan is to get there, turning that into actual actions, having those actions produce a result, which then we adjust on, on the way to achieving it. Um, everybody gets caught up in the momentum of that. And uh, that's one reason why our client companies are usually first or second in the marketplace or the fastest growing. And a lot of them started as companies that were oscillating, that were problem-solving, that were primarily reactive and responsive. And they've really turned into organizations that are organized around things that matter to everybody there. So we need to take a short break, but let's talk about this notion of, of action versus words. And I think that leaders, uh, many leaders, uh, have this screwed up. And even with their actions, they're thinking about what they're, what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis or, or how they're treating their leaders, but they're not necessarily looking at the underlying structural dynamics that they've put in place that create all of the rewards and recognition systems that are either in support of or defeating all of the actions that they're trying to um, propagate in the organization. So we're going to come back with Robert Fritz and talk more about the leader's role and talk about how do we keep that tension alive as you're creating new desired states and new changes in the organization organization as many of us are doing today. So stay with us. We'll be back in just two minutes. 
Stay tuned. Fired Up on WebmasterRadio.fm will return after this short break. Looking for a new way to build backlinks and traffic back to your website? Then look no further than the quickest and easiest way to blast your article to thousands of subscribers at the click of a mouse. Introducing ArticleSender.com, the world's premier article distribution service. With ArticleSender.com, you can submit your prize-winning piece to thousands of promising publishers and article directories craving for fresh content. ArticleSender.com also provides premium services so that your article is SEO SEO ready. Plus, we provide express editorial review for rush delivery of your submissions within 24 to 48 hours article distribution at its easiest one form one click thousands of results get your free account today at articlesender.com that's article seoseek.com is your one-stop site for everything SEO. From search engine marketing to pay-per-click management, seoseek.com delivers high-quality SEO services at affordable prices. seoseek.com can help you with SEO analysis, monthly reports, title and meta tag optimization, email support, and so much more. Want to keep your SEO in-house? Let our professional trainers teach SEO to your staff. Get a free quote and a free competitive analysis today at SEOC.com. Did you know? 99designs is a leading marketplace for graphic design on the Internet. Did you know? 99designs connects you to a community of over 35,000 designers who will compete to do the best work for you. Did you know? 99designs allows you to post projects for logo design, web page design, t-shirt design, and more. Did you know? 99designs projects need an average of over 70 different design options for a price that you set. 99designs. When designers compete, you win. Mobile Presence, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. You're getting fired up, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Now, here's Gordon Rudo. So we are back, and we have the last handful of minutes here uh, with Robert Fritz, and we're going to make the most of it here. Um... And I want to stay on this notion about visualizing realities, um, if, we, if we can, for another minute or so, because you talk about this in your book in a multi-layered fashion. It's not just, hey, that desired state that we're trying to get to and where we are today. There's also short-term goals, medium goals, long-range goals. There's different motivations that happen at each level, different structures that you're putting in place. So there's a variety of conflicts. It's kind of a multi-layered dynamic. Can you describe how these issues work in, in a multi-layered fashion versus just a current state and future state, as one could imagine from the earlier part of the conversation. Yeah, when, when we, um, you know, I'm thinking about this as composing the organization. I mean, nowadays you get two different models from management uh, thinkers. You get uh, uh, command and control, which is, of course, always said in a derogatory way meaning stupid leadership who's um, closed off from where, what their decisions, uh, when they make decisions, it's really not close to the impact of those decisions. You know, so that's a stovepipe kind of management. Or self-organizing systems. In our uh, experience, self-organizing systems always lead to oscillation. They all, they, you cannot just take a group of musicians, have them sit on stage and self-organize into a symphony orchestra. And there's something about a third, there's a third possibility, which we call comp- compositional. It's like having a compo- composed organization. 
And that means there are major themes, minor themes, accompaniment, um, development. There are way things that way that things move so that the various actions that people take within the company reinforce other actions that are taken rather than inadvertently fight against those actions. So uh, in the path for managers, I'm talking about, for example, the major strategic goals an organization may have. And uh, from that, we call it telescoping, starting to break that down into a variety of sub-goals that are um, related to the major goals and that are really developing more detail. And, of course, that is also distributed throughout the management system so that different people take on different tasks within that. But it's, you know, it's fairly beautifully composed without it having to be micromanagement. And that kind of reinforcement where, every, where we're really designed, you see, when think, people think about performance, they usually think about execution. But there are two factors. One is design and one is execution. And what we want is good design and good execution. Design is usually the property that is less obvious. But when we start to really design our systems, then we can take the same um, capacity, you know, in terms of human resources and systems and so on, and suddenly it really pays off more. There's, there's more thrust to it. There's more uh, success that we can create. Hmm. So good design and good execution. We're looking at, you know, eight out of ten of these organizations are, not, are oscillating or not performing to their capacity, and it's probably they're good at one or good at the other or not good at either. Is that kind of what you found? You know, it's more like this, that most of us have been raised to think circumstantially rather than strategically or structurally or compositionally. We're certainly not raised to think in terms of outcomes. We, I mean, listen to our politicians, though mostly what they talk about are the problems. Um, we, we have a very problem-oriented society, which is primarily, if you think about it, that means that we think our job in life is to either, either react against or respond to the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And that's very different than being self-generating. They're really thinking about what are the outcomes we want to create. And um, so the kind of change that we really try to encourage people to take on it's not simply to adopt new behaviors, which, in our opinion, won't work anyway, but to really restructure, rethink the entire proposition of what it means for us to collectively get together to try to bring something into being, like this, a successful business and a successful organization. And it isn't that it's difficult, but it, um, it, it does take a lot of work, but it's not difficult work. But it takes a kind of conscious focus on the design aspects, the compositional aspects that people are so not used to because they simply think reactively or responsibly that it's just not uh, within their uh, immediate um, understanding. And I think that's one of the uh, revolutionary things that we have really brought to the table is a kind of new understanding of how these things can go. Yes, it requires a level of depth that is unusual, and thinking about good design in a compositional way to, to dive deeply into the structures, to understand the leader's role, and to think about the execution process of implementing all of the right structures and, and leaders walking their talk and moving people to action with eco-feedback systems and, and burning platforms. There's a lot more complexity and sophistication to the thinking than just quickly you know, getting the cost savings and getting the quarterly returns. Ooh. 
Unfortunately, we're running out of time, but I want to wrap okay, this up and, and in a, a couple um, of minutes, if you can take all of your years of work and, and <laughs> come out of this conversation and try to, if you can, distill this into, you know, a couple takeaway points, not just, um, you know, philosophical concepts, but if there's a couple things that our audience of, of business leaders and HR and communicating leaders um, could be thinking about or doing differently, what would you suggest would be a good place to start? Um, uh, the difference between business and accounting is that what business people try to do is generate wealth, not simply accumulate wealth. And uh, bean counters have really done a lot of damage in a lot of companies. If you try, for example, I'm going to give you a strategy for GM that would, if they had taken this on years ago, would have been a winning strategy. Make cars people want to buy. Now, that's very clear, and, and it's very easy. And when you talk about the complexity, it isn't actually that complex if we understand that we're making cars that people want to buy. Then we create everything else to support that very simple uh, proposition. And certainly there's a lot that goes into it in terms of, you know, in, um, inventory and manufacturing and blah, 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 and supply chains and stuff like that. But, you know, what they lost sight of was the thing that made the whole thing work because they were doing the, you know, financial manipulations and all kinds of other crazy things. And um, uh, people sometimes, they, they want to blame the unions and they want to blame the cost structure and they want to blame uh, all kinds of things. I think it's the leadership. They really lost sight of what it is to be a car company where you just make cars people want to buy. One of the things I, I love about your work, and um, you'll see it in the books, folks, if you read this stuff, it, there's a lot of complexity that we're diving into here, but he really does get to the simplicity on the other side of complexity, and the articulations are crisp, the practices are relevant and, and timely. Um, so as we close, I want to urge our listeners to check out um, two of the most powerful books I've read in my business career is, is the book Creating and the Path of Least Resistance. And I've got to say that the Path of Least Resistance for Managers um, is even more practical, and there's some great stuff and, that and you can another, do coming right uh, out of the book. Uh, I have book not had the opportunity. Of Truth, which I co-wrote with Bruce Badakin, who's the CEO yep. of Blue Shield of California, and that's on Simon and Schuster, the manager of yep. the Truth. I was going to mention that one and say, you know, I've gotten through a couple pages of it, and and it's gotten tr just terrific reviews. Um, so I, that's the next one on on my list. Is there some other places that people can find out where you're speaking, the trainings that you're running, or, or how to find out more about the, what you're the up to these days? The, the best thing to do is just come to our website, which is www.robertfritz.com. <laughs> Easy enough, robertfritz.com. You can go to all sorts of places from there. I want to thank you again, Robert. This is a kick. My great pleasure, Gordon. Um, I've been reading your stuff and working with it for years, and people have been hearing me talk about it at seminars for a long time now. So um, I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, and thank you again, Webmaster Radio. To our listeners, check us out at uh, twitter.com forward slash radio. Tell us what you want to hear about next. We've got some exciting new uh, content coming up soon. And I uh, hope to see you or hear from you uh, in the coming days and catch you next week.